0: Welcome to No More Risk Better a Credit Sites Podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy.
1: And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist.
0: As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets.
1: As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia.
0: This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen.
1: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Know More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host, Zach Griffiths, Senior Investment Grade Strategist. And joining me today is Miriam Ali, our Senior European Consumer Sector Analyst. Miriam, thanks for joining us.
0: Really happy to be here, thanks for having me.
1: Great, so we've been starting these conversations with an icebreaker to sort of get an idea of what you're most focused on from a macro perspective. So if you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for the rest of 2023, what would it be and why?
0: Yeah, thanks for that. That's a very interesting question. I think the obvious answer that everybody wants a crystal ball view on is inflation and recession risk. And of course, I would absolutely want a sneak peek at that too. But specific to the consumer sector, I'd be very interested to see how consumer sentiment is set to develop the rest of this year. Although that, of course, is very closely intertwined with inflation and recession developments. So if we see how consumer confidence has developed so far, UK consumer confidence reached its lowest points since records began last year, even worse than the pandemic lows. I believe the worst point was in September, just before the winter, and obviously back then there was a lot of concern about the energy situation. As we know, that didn't end up being as bad as many had feared. So consumer sentiment has recovered in recent months, and it is on an upward trajectory. In fact, I just saw in the FT today that UK consumer confidence has reached the highest point in over a year, but it still remains below the long-term average. So clearly, there's still some fear and concern in consumers' minds, and the Eurozone has broadly seen the same trends. So yeah, I'd love to see how things are set to develop the rest of this year on the consumer sentiment
1: front. I agree. And it's interesting. I was just looking at U.S. consumer sentiment and we're still around the lowest levels since the financial crisis, even though we've had economic growth in the U.S., similarly to the U.K. and Europe, hanging in pretty well to start 2023. So definitely some interesting dynamics going on there. So Miriam, let's just give our listeners an overview of your current sector recommendation, why you're positioned that, that way, and give us the, the high-level overview of what you're thinking for the remainder of 2023 for the consumer sector.
0: Yes, certainly. So we have a market perform recommendation on the Euro IG consumer goods sector. So this reflects the sector's defensive credentials and relatively robust credit fundamentals, So our expectation is that sector fundamentals will be stable to slightly weaker this year as a result of the uncertain macro environment. So we have seen margins take a hit as a result of the inflationary environment, but top-line growth has been robust across the board, supporting by pricing. And actually, consumer demand has held up relatively well on a global level. Down-trading activity has been limited and elasticity has been manageable. Of course, though, there are examples of pockets of weakness across certain geographies and categories, and this is especially evident in the high yield space where we don't have an overall sector recommendation as such, because I think you really have to take it on a case by case basis, given idiosyncratic risk factors and the fact that high yield companies tend to be much less diversified, both on a geographic and product basis. In the IG space, though, the consumer goods space largely consists of defensive, stable, large global companies. So even though margins might have weakened, growing top lines means that actually cash flow remains strong. And this has helped to keep leverage metric in check. So it's not surprising that spreads for the consumer goods index are very tight versus the wider index. But we think that there are still opportunities for attractive spread pickup. If investors are willing to dip down into triple B names over A rated ones. So, actually, the consumer goods sector did um, outperform last year. So, spreads widened, but not as much as the wider index. So, this reflects the sector's defensive credentials. Biggest issuers in the space are AB and BEV, Nestle, and Unilever. So, what we generally tend to see is that the sector usually performs best in a risk off environment, which was very much the case last year, and less so in a risk on one. I think there's still quite a bit of uncertainty regarding the macro environment to justify keeping a market weight. And especially, as I mentioned, if you're willing to go down in ratings quality to the triple B category, there are some interesting opportunities available.
1: That's great. And it's interesting to highlight sort of the interplay between concerns from a economic growth perspective and wanting to be in a defensive category last year and how I feel like that was the expectation coming into this year, but things have shifted a little bit. And so when thinking about your market perform recommendation balancing these risks that we see out there, Is that something that you've held for a while or have you had to to update that view as we kind of come into 2023
0: i think we've been fairly consistent in our view on the consumer goods sector it's a defensive one Um, and as i said a lot of the performance is driven more by the wider um, macro environment so i think there could potentially be a case to go more positive on the ig goods consumer sector if the macro environment deteriorates more than anyone is expecting. So in that scenario, we would expect risk off sentiment to prevail, um, and that would support the performance of the sector. I guess then you could argue, on the other hand, that if the environment actually ends up being better than our expectations, and there's a case to be heavily risk off, then that would probably mean underperformance by the sector.
1: I know your first answer to the question was consumer sentiment is kind of what you'd want to know to have a crystal ball, are there any other hard economic data points that you're keeping an eye on? And if you saw a major shift in, let's say, one or two of those data points, you'd be more inclined to adjust your sector recommendation accordingly?
0: I think coming back to what I said earlier, inflation, recession, just thinking about what the discussions that I've been having with investors, I think generally investors are quite comfortable with the sector, but I have seen a bit of evolution in sentiment in recent months. I think at the beginning of the year, investors were a bit more cautious about allocation and certain names within the sector, given concerns about consumer behavior. But since then, we've had FY22 and 1Q23 updates, which have demonstrated that all things considered, the consumer is remaining pretty resilient. So I think a bit of the concern has eased because investors are maybe a bit more upbeat about the sector than they were a few months ago. But having said that there's definitely some lingering caution and that's definitely reflected in management commentary and also discussion with clients who are looking through to the second half of the year. Just as an aside though, I think what's been interesting about the consumer space and trends so far is that we haven't necessarily seen a widespread slowdown in consumer spending. And yes, there have been pockets of weakness, but not at the scale as some had predicted. And actually if you look at certain categories like travel and leisure, Spending has been very strong. I think we probably all feel this, but after years of COVID restrictions and going without holidays and certain leisure activities, consumers don't want to cut back on that. And even if budgets are squeezed, they're finding a way to make it work. And that's also likely supported by the fact that consumers built up a lot of savings during COVID lockdowns.
1: Yeah, we're definitely seeing that here in the US with the leisure and travel space holding up impressively well for... An economic environment that seemed to be forecasted to be quite negative in, in 2023. It's been interesting to see how well some of those discretionary spending categories have held up. So switching gears from the fundamental aspect of your recommendation, what are you expecting for new issue activity over the next six to 12 months? And what factors are you focusing on that will drive new deals or keep issuers on the sidelines?
0: Uh, yeah, so we've actually already had a fair amount of issuance in the sector for the sector so far this year. Usually the usual suspects, so the likes of Unilever, Nestle, which are amongst the most frequent issuers in the space. We've also had Heineken and L'Oreal come to market to fund their bolt on M&A activity, and this is in line with our expectations. So Heineken returned to the bond markets this year for the first time since 2020 to fund the acquisition of South African brewer Distel. That deal was announced in November 2021 and only closed in April this year. So that was a long time coming. Um, In contrast, we had L'Oreal, a global beauty cosmetics giant. It announced its acquisition of ASOP. An Australian luxury beauty brand in April this year and it's already come to market to fund that acquisition. So both of those deals are of the bolt-on variety in the region of 1 to 2 billion euros and that's broadly in line with broader sector trends. I think the sector seems to be moving away from mega deals. Bolt-on M&A is what management teams are preferring at the moment that being said, we did have the Unilever GSK consumer healthcare episode last year, so never say never about the companies getting involved in bigger deals, even though that never went through in the end, um, but for now management teams across the space seem content to stick with Bolt on m which could drive further issuance in the space. Um, At present, though, there aren't really any other deals that will need financing in the bond markets, but we expect more issuance for usual refi purposes and the usual opportunistic issuance for general corporate purposes. Generally, though, there isn't a huge need for issuance in the space because the names are very active in 2020, like a lot of companies out there, and balance sheets on the whole remain quite healthy and quite sound. So last year's issuance was a touch below 2021 levels. And our expectation is that 2023 will probably end up being around similar levels overall, um, especially since the maturity schedule um, is very similar to the prior year. Um, In terms of specific names to look out for, I would highlight Diageo, which is a spirits company. It's a very frequent issuer, but it hasn't made an appearance appearance yet this year. We've actually had quite a flurry of issuance at the beginning of this week. So we've seen a number of names with upcoming refinancing needs in the next few months already tap the markets. And that includes the likes of Carlsberg, beer company and French food company, Danone. And the final thing I would mention in relation to new issuance is green and sustainability link bonds. So in previous years, we have been somewhat surprised by the lack of green and sustainability-linked bonds in the European consumer space, especially since all the consumer names are so focused on ESG issues. But that dry spell did come to an end last year. So we had new green deals from the likes of L'Oreal, Turner Ricard, Coca-Cola HBC and Suzuka. And they all have very different product focuses and subsector um, expertise. So I think that's potentially set the stage for more green issuance to come.
1: That's certainly been a key theme that, that we've heard over the past year. It's been a little bit faster paced in Europe than, than what we've seen in the U.S., but certainly picking up. Miriam, of the deals that we've seen come to market in your space this year, how would you say investor receptivity has been?
0: Yeah, I would say it's varied from issuer to issuer. So in some cases, for like the highly defensive names, you see next to no new issue concession. But then on the other hand, just using the example of Danone, French food company, it tends to trade very tight. It's triple B rated, but it trades very tight. And actually, its new issuance did come with a bit of new issue concession. So it suggests that investors are willing to push back in cases where pricing doesn't look attractive. But on the whole, I would say, given the nature of the sector, on the whole, investors are very receptive to deals. When there is new issuance, new issue concessions, it doesn't tend to be a huge amount. But sometimes you get lucky and you get maybe five to 10 basis points, which is a lot for the consumer sector.
1: Definitely. And I think you kind of Hit this already, but just to revisit, are there any big issuers that you anticipate tapping the market over the next couple of months? I know you said there are already a couple of deals in the market this week, maybe pre refunding some near term maturities. Is there anything that we haven't covered that's on your radar in the near term?
0: I would say beyond Diageo, which um, I expect to come at some point this year, uh, we can probably expect Nestle and Unilever to come back to the bond markets because they usually come to the markets multiple times. Also has a share buyback program. A couple of other names. Diageo actually also has a share buyback program. Nestle as well with a share buyback program. So yeah, I think beyond the usual frequent issuers, um, we might see issuers from some of the smaller names as well. Just... um, as market conditions allow.
1: All right, well, let's shift to focus on risks in your sector. What keeps you up at night when you think about your sector, its performance and particularly with respect to your market perform recommendation, are you leaning toward concerns that you're either too optimistic because things won't be as defensive as as maybe we all thought they, you know, the overall environment would be? coming into this year, or or conversely, are you leaning toward maybe seeing risks of needing to go outperform on a worsening economic backdrop?
0: Yes, yeah, I think you covered exactly what I'm thinking about. The question is, will a recession actually materialize? Um, how is the wider economic landscape going to shake out this year? And um, that obviously will have Implications for risk off and risk on sentiment. And that will obviously feed into how the sector does overall. On company specific risks, though, I mentioned earlier that broadly the boarding sector seems to be moving away from big MA, but there's always that concern at the back of my mind that one of the companies is going to try and go for a big MA deal that is not really equipped to deal with. And again, I mentioned the Unilever GSK consumer healthcare episode as an example of what could happen um, if management teams have ideas that are maybe a bit too big for them. On the high-yield side, I think there's more company-specific factors to be wary of. And especially, as I already mentioned, a lot of high-yield companies have um, limited diversification so I think within my coverage, a name that is probably under the most pressure is Boparin. So Boparin is a UK poultry company. It's a high yield sterling name. So Boparin has seen volume weakness as a result of shifts in consumer behavior, because it's seen consumers switch to lower value poultry products, or consumers have ditched ready meals in favor of scratch cooking, i.e. cooking all their meals in Um, at home in order to save money. There's also been margin pressure from things like labour shortages and unrecovered cost inflation. So management does believe that the toughest part of the year is now behind them. And mentioned on the latest earnings call that recent trading has been more positive. But I guess we will have to wait and see. Also with Baparan, the liquidity situation is also somewhat tight though the company usually sees a free cash inflow in the second half of its fiscal year. So I would say that's one of the key high yield names to monitor in the consumer space.
1: And when we think about perhaps the obvious risks, recession, this is probably the most anticipated global recession of all time. I remember starting my career in economics research, recession used to be a bad word. Now everyone's saying it's kind of their base case. What are some of the less obvious concerns, anything you're considering that's maybe outside the scope of the typical financial market media flow that, that you're keeping an eye on, if anything?
0: I can't say there's anything in particular that springs to mind. I guess the consumer sector is a fairly defensive one and beyond I guess, outsized m a or outsized shareholder rewards, there isn't too much really that can rock the boat in the sector that wouldn't affect the, uh, all other sectors anyway.
1: Understood, yes, that, that makes perfect sense. And so kind of pulling this all together, give us your top pick and your top pan as well as your best carry trade, given where we are in 2023 and, and kind of how you're thinking about your favorite trades going forward?
0: Yeah, certainly. So our current topic of ours in the IG consumer space is Coca-Cola euro Pacific Partners. So Coca-Cola euro Pacific Partners is a Coca-Cola bottling company, which is in the leveraging mode following its acquisition of fellow Coca-Cola bottler Amatil in May, 2021. So Amatil was the bottler in Australia, New Zealand and Indonesia. So previously, the company was entirely located in Western Europe, and it was called European Partners for obvious reasons, but now it has more geographic diversity. So that acquisition saw leverage spike to five times immediately post-closing of the acquisition, but that had fallen to 3.5 times at the end of 2022. And the company is on track to reduce net leverage to the target range of 2.5 to 3 times by the end of 2023, which is actually one year earlier than initially planned. And that's because the leveraging is supported by the company's strong free cash flow generation, which has stepped up now that the company is bigger. We also view the strength of the Coca-Cola brand very positively. As prices have been rising, branding power has really come to the forefront as those companies with the strongest brands are the ones who will be more successful at passing through price increases. So we believe that the Coca-Cola brand can remain resilient, even in a tougher environment, and that its branding power should help protect against down-trading risk. I know there are private label cola alternatives out there, but they just do not taste as good in my opinion.
1: <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs>
0: Um, On the other hand, one of our plans is a French food company, Danone. Um, And one of the key things to highlight here is that we think some of Danone's major categories, um, such as dairy and bottled water, could be more vulnerable to down-trading trends if the consumer environment deteriorates later in the year. So stuff like yogurt, milk, bottled water, these are more commoditized products. So the price gaps between Brands and private label may not be so justifiable in consumers' minds. Also, Danone's bonds typically trade tight for the triple B plus rating category, with bonds marked closer to higher A-rated peers. This appears especially expensive now for a company just one year into its strategic reset under a new CEO who came into the picture in 2021 after some activist pressure le- led to wholesale changes at the top. And finally, for those investors willing to dip down the ratings to pick up more spread, we have an outperform recommendation on JDE Peets. So it was recently upgraded to triple B at Fitch from triple B minus, but it is still rated BAA3 and triple B minus at Moody's and S&P respectively. So JDE Peets is a coffee company which has been heavily hit by inflationary pressures that caused operating margin to fall by 350 basis points last year to around 15%. Amongst our IG European consumer coverage, it faced the highest level of inflationary pressures. But we continue to like the credit despite its margin, um, margin troubles because its fundamental strengths include strong market and brand positioning, robust free cash flow, and we view the coffee category, category as a resilient one. And in fact, despite the troubles of last year, net leverage still improved slightly in 2022 to 2.6 times as free cash flow generation remained strong during the year.
1: That's great. A lot of great ideas there for our listeners to work with. And so lastly, Miriam, I think this is kind of a fun one. If you had any words of advice for management teams trying to navigate the current economic and market environment in your sector, what would you tell them?
0: That's a really great question. Hmm. I think my advice would be don't get distracted. I think the landscape has changed quite a lot over the past few years since since the pandemic. It seems like there's been disruption after disruption since 2020. And you almost forget that it's not really normal to be facing so many headwinds in such quick succession. As a result, there's lots of things that management teams can be distracted by. But I think it's important to look through the short-term disruption, and focus on the long-term. So don't get distracted would be my bit of advice, but I know that's easier said than done.
1: I think that's great advice for all of us trying to navigate these <laughs> yes. markets. So that's. I think that's a perfect place to end the discussion. Miriam Ali, our Senior European Consumer Sector Analyst, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on our next episode of No More Risk Better. Thank you.
0: Credit Sites Disclaimer.
1: All price references correspond to the date of this recording.
0: This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained
1: in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.